Hey there, dudes and dudettes, and welcome to Extreme Movie Reviews, where the takes are as extreme as literally any product you could have bought in the 90s. It's totally time to set your Tamagotchis down, pick up your pogs off of the floor, sit back, and relax for a radical time with your host. Ho, 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 ho. That was one too many hoes there. No pun. Merry Scarymus to you. I would like to get moving quickly, so I will just drop this here. If you're looking for more Christmas horror, here are a couple of suggestions. If you want something in the same vein as the movie that I am reviewing today, Gremlins, then I would highly suggest 2015's Krampus. That movie is really good, and it is also a dark comedy, horror, anti-Christmas type movie. I think it succeeds more in the horror than this movie, and it definitely has some of the same social commentary going on, as well as some of the same silliness. If I recall correctly, the director of Krampus took heavy influence from such directors like Joe Dante, who did direct Gremlins. Now, if you want something that is a bit more along the lines of a more standard horror movie, 2016's Australian-made Better Watch Out is a fantastic holiday horror ride. I don't normally suggest watching trailers, but I highly suggest you watch the trailer and then watch the movie. Also, don't not watch the movie because of the trailer, and just trust me on that. And actually, I am going to say the same thing for this movie, Gremlins. If you've never seen it, turn me off, watch the trailer, and then watch the movie, and then come back and listen to my review. What do you think the ratings look like? In this section, I will be looking at three different ratings. I will be looking at Rotten Tomatoes, Critic Score, Audience Score, and then the IMDb score. Rotten Tomatoes is basically a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Did you like the movie? I will be guessing what percentage of people liked the movie. So let's start with the Rotten Tomatoes Critic Score. And I feel like this movie is a movie that critics either hate or love. Over time, it's become a classic, so I'm thinking, like, somewhere in the 60s? So I'm going to guess 67% of critics liked the movie. The actual Rotten Tomatoes critic score, I think I've underestimated the love that this movie has received. With 71 votes, Gremlins currently has an 85% approval rating. That's probably my biggest miss so far. Ever. Ever, 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 ever? Now, let's guess the Rotten Tomatoes audience score. The PG rating could cause the score some issues, and we will touch base on that later. It's a classic that I know some may feel has aged, but although it's a definite 80s movie, it has a very timeless feel as well. Younger generations who grew up with CGI may not appreciate practical effects, so... I'm gonna guess 72% but I think that there's a decent chance I'm going to be a little bit high there. And just a little side note, after seeing the critic's score, I would love to increase my guess, but that's not how I do this. I have that guess written out before I record. The actual Rotten Tomatoes audience score is, with nearly 452,000 ratings, votes, it is 78%. I'm a little surprised the two scores are not closer. But I think that you can trust that 78% as an average moviegoer. Three out of four people should definitely like this movie. 
I'd even say maybe closer to four out of five, which I guess it is closer to that. Go me. All right. Let's take a look at the IMDb rating. In contrast to the Rotten Tomatoes score, which is a simple gauge of what percentage of people like the movie, this is more of a gauge of how much the movie is liked on a scale of 1 to 10. I tend to think that older movies uh, take, like, take a bigger hit on IMDb than Rotten Tomatoes scores. There's definitely nothing majorly wrong with the movie, so I'm thinking that there aren't many 1 through like 3 types of scores. I guessed a 6.3 out of 10. I also felt that I wouldn't be shocked if this was in the high fives, but all I know is that it better be higher than I'll Be Home for Christmas's 5.5. The actual IMDb rating. I was pretty far off. With a few under 200,000 ratings, Gremlins is currently sitting at a 7.3 out of 10. That is absolutely great, and I think very appropriate. Uh, Nearly 20% of people gave it a 9 or a 10, and almost exactly three quarters of the people gave it higher than a 7. Just under 4% of the audience gave it a 4 or less, and actually less than 10% gave it a 5 or less. So really, what is that, 90% of people gave it a 6 or above. Pretty, Pretty telling about the movie. What does that all mean? It's damn near a guarantee that you will be satisfied and more than likely that you will be entertained from this movie. It's worth a shot regardless of your demographic. Let's recap those scores. The 85% of critics liked the movie. 78% of the audience members liked the movie, both of those on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's been given a score of 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. So, like, do you recommend the movie? 1984's Gremlins is a PG-rated horror comedy with a runtime of 1 hour and 46 minutes. It is directed by Joe Dante, who has a long career in the industry going back to 1968. Largely, he has been involved in horror projects, like the movie The Howling is largely why he got this job. The writer is Christopher Columbus, and he has had a very successful career as a director, writer, and more recently as a producer. Most notably has got to be his involvement as a producer on three of the Harry Potter movies. That would be The Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and The Prisoner of Azkaban. I see Gremlins 3 is on his list for on IMDb coming up soon. It really actually gives me hope that he is linked to that project because he's a pretty good writer. The movie has a lot of um, bigger names in it, and I will be introducing some of the main cast a little later. Personally, I absolutely love this movie. I watch it most years in December. Sometimes I plop it on randomly at some other point in the year as well. So if I had to give you a recommendation, I would say for sure to watch it. 100%, if you've never seen this movie, it is worth giving a watch. I give it 4.8 stars out of 5. It's simple and pure entertainment. As far as the rating goes, the PG rating, the MPAA did not have a PG-13 option in 1984 when this movie was given that rating. It really is a PG-13 movie. There is no nudity, sex, drugs, nothing like that, and I would think most kids aged 10 or above should be okay to see it. 
Um, I know I definitely saw it at a younger age on TV, and I think it turned out all right. So, I don't know. So, it's a must-see for me. If you haven't seen it um, since you were much younger, I think it does have great nostalgic value as well. Gremlins is the story about a postcard picture-perfect small town, Kingston Falls, USA, where a mythological cute little creature called a mogwai is brought home as a special Christmas present for a failed inventor's son, Billy. In a failure to take proper care of the creature, Kingston Falls falls prey to the asexually reproducing mogwai's malicious offspring, Gremlins. Now, Billy, his new best friend, Gizmo, and the girl of Billy's dreams will spend their Christmas Eve attempting to save the town from this foreign threat. Hey dude, sorry it's me again. I was just wondering, could you tell me more about the movie? Throughout my walkthrough, I will be using clips from the commentary tracks, which I highly recommend. Uh, quick spoiler warning, there will be spoilers. Uh, the crew commentary is really good if you are interested in the industry. They go into a lot of details about how things were done. And the cast version is also informational. And if for no other reason, the first 40 to 50 minutes is worth a watch for Howie Mandel's jokes. They kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of stab at each other with some of their jokes. And then halfway after that, like 40, 50 minute mark, all of a sudden the commentary takes a different turn. I wonder if they like ended up having to do it differently because somebody got offended. Or, I don't know. It's weird. Pay attention to that if you end up listening to that. Um, so if you can find the special edition DVD, that's where you can find those on. The crew commentary track has director Joe Dante, producer Mike Fennell, or Fen Fennell? Fennell? Fennell. And monster maker Chris Wallace. The cast commentary track has track has director Joe Dante, Phoebe Cates, who plays Kate Barringer. And many of you may recognize or remember Phoebe from the movie Fast Times at Richmond High, where she played Linda. <whistles> Zach Galligan is also on there. He plays Billy Peltzer. And Howie Mandel, who played uh, the voice of Gizmo. And then Dick Miller, who played Murray Futterman, who I will be referring to as Mr. USA, because I wasn't sure of what his name was when I took my notes watching the movie. And I'm not going through and changing that. So, Mr. USA, he is. The movie opens up with a man walking out of an alley and into the heart of Chinatown. He is Mr. Peltzer. Mr. Peltzer ends up in an underground shop with all sorts of unique artifacts from the Eastern world. Are these things real? I told you, everything's real. Well, friends, you do have a lot of interesting artifacts here, but there's one thing you don't have. And what's that? Well, let me show you. I got it right here. I'm an inventor. I made this. The bathroom buddy. It's the invention of the century, friends. It eliminates the, the need to carry heavy luggage and things when you travel. And you got yourself your shaving mirror. You got yourself your toothbrush. You got yourself a toothpick. You got toenail clippers. You got a nail file. And you got yourself a dental mirror. This is going to revolutionize traveling. Now, let's just say for the sake of argument that you're on a bus or a plane or a train. You forgot to brush your teeth. You got yourself a bad case of dragon breath. Bad breath. 
us out. And you push this button. That's no problem. That's absolutely no problem. These inventions of his will be a source of light comedy throughout pretty much the entirety of the whole movie. You may have heard a little cat-like sound in the background that keeps distracting him while he does his sales pitch. Finally, his curiosity is spiked. It's a mogwai, but we don't get to see the mogwai yet. What's he doing? Classic horror movie move. Don't reveal your monster. I gotta have him. He's incredible. Say what I'll do. I'll give you a hundred dollars for him. No. Look, I've gotta have him. It's a present for my son for Christmas. It's exactly what I've been looking for, and I've been everywhere. I'll give you two hundred dollars. That's two hundred dollars. I'm sorry. Mogwai. Not for sale. It's clear from the grandson's expressions that they need the money. He goes behind his uh, grandfather's back and he sells the mogwai to the inventor. With mogwai comes much responsibility. I cannot sell him at any price. There is one caveat. There are three rules that must be followed. Keep them out of the light. Him, whatever. Actually, I don't think they have a sex. So keep the mogwai out of the light. Sunlight will kill them. Keep them away from water. Water will multiply them. And no matter how much he begs, it. Never feed him after midnight, it. That is the most important rule. You got it? Sure, kid. Whatever you say. Hey, listen, thanks. And have a merry Christmas. And the movie begins. Now that's how you get me in the mood. You see small town USA, Kingston Falls. Kids are having a snow fight uh, before school. This is hilarious. So in the scene I'm about to go through, I never noticed this either, but Dick looks like someone who just walked out onto the set on accident. Like, he wasn't even an extra. Now, I don't know why Dick is in this scene, actually. Uh, I, I didn't even notice him ever. I've seen this movie 20 times. I didn't notice Dick standing there until just now. I, I may have just shown oh, up that I, day. I went down to the set that day. And, uh, I think, actually, the original idea was to have him have some sort of interaction here with Belinda Velasky, but we didn't, uh, it, it never got to that. We meet our main man, Zach Galligan, who is playing Billy. We meet his neighbor. Hey, Billy, what's your mind? You need a jump? Mr. Oh, older no, Neighbor fine. USA. I'm pretty much late for work as it is. Goddamn foreign god, he always frees up on you. You don't find American machinery doing that. Our stuff can take anything. See that plow? 15 years old. Had to give me a day's trouble in 15 years. You know why? Kentucky Harvester. Made some farm piece of crap. Billy makes his way to the bank for his job. While we go through this first portion of the movie, I would like to point out that throughout much of the movie, you can tell they are on sets or universal backlots, um, as well as Warner backlots. But it actually adds to the charm of this movie, in a sense. The movie comes off a bit like a play, 
which isn't always a good thing, but because of what this movie is, it just all really works well together. Hell, even the fake snow seems to sort of work in this movie, and I hate fake snow. I will let the pros kind of explain more professionally why it works. Uh, this is uh, the that actually worked. <laughs> this is the Universal backlot. We, we used we used the Warner Brothers backlot and the Universal backlot and a place called Columbia Ranch, which is now the Warner Ranch, and they were pretty much all the backlots in town. Uh, my feeling was that because the Gremlins were, you know, pretty stylized looking, that the rest of the movie should also be stylized because I I thought they'd look a lot more real against a non-real backdrop. Um, and this, of course, was all shot in the kids. So Billy's got his dog with him and he ties him up under his bank teller station. Now before I play this next portion of the clip, I would like to point out that I do all of my notes while watching the movie. Then if there is a commentary track I have availability to, I will watch that afterwards, after I'm done with the notes. So I don't want you thinking that I presented something as my own opinion when it wasn't. What I just said about this was written up before listening to the commentary. We meet the marvelous Phoebe Cates. Alright, now make me look good, gentlemen. I mean, we actually, the, the whole backlot look of this movie was, we didn't really try to hide it very hard. We, we kind of wanted it to have that, that slightly studio-bound... Well, we wanted it to look a little more like an old movie, uh, because so much of it is uh, a sort of a, you know, a send-up of, of uh, the difference between, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful life meets the birds, you know, kind of. And, and we meet the town headache. Good morning, Mrs. Deagle. Mrs. Deagle. What's good about you? Watch it, watch it, watch it. Three, sixty, three. Uh, two. Mrs. Deagle? What? What? I just wanted to let you know that Joe got himself a nice Joe? Door. My husband, Joe Harris. And I've taken up some sewing on the side. Mrs. Harris, what are you trying to tell me? I'm afraid that neither one of us will be paid for two weeks. Couldn't you get Mr. Corbin to... Well, to just give us a little more time? Mrs. Harris... The bank and I have the same purpose in life, to make money, not to support a lot of deadbeats. Mrs. Deagle, it's Christmas! Well, now you know what to ask Santa for, don't you? What a Scrooge. Deserves a slow, painful death. 
Maybe I'll put him in my spin dryer on high. The dog is not having it and gets after Mrs. Beagle for her terrible words. Billy gets home that evening and we meet the family and some more failed inventions of his father's, the man that we started the movie off with. He gets back home from his trip and he's got a big old gift for Billy. It's a puppy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I can tell. No, it's a mogwai, you idiot. Bonnie, would you dim the lights, please? Sure. Dim the lights? Is it to glow in the dark? It's important. Go ahead, open it. What is it? No. It's your new bed. Well, if that isn't the most adorable thing in the world. You're kidding. That's no monster. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. I just call him Gizmo. There's Howie's entrance into the picture. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's actually... Getting into that suit every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible, but well worth it. Now, if this movie isn't 80s enough already, oh, here's Corey Feldman. Issue number one. It's pretty neat, huh? Yeah. What'd you get? Oh, Dr. Fantasies, I think? What's that? Here, I'll show you. This is my new pet my dad gave me. does an excellent job of acting in how he treats Gizmo like he's a real live pet and not a puppet um, and then Gizmo fawns when Cory calls him cute uh, just the expressions of Gizmo and the puppets in this movie are amazing Corey ends up oh, spilling a glass of water and it gets on Gizmo. Can I hold him? Sure. I don't see why not. He seems to like you. Out, sprout, five new mogwai. Here's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> why is it one of your favorite parts? Just those little balls, those little fuzzy, crazy. <laughs> things popping out and there. And the sound of the popping, yeah, it's great. I just did the voice. Those aren't actually my balls. Right? <laughs> the camera does a slight Dutch angle in this scene as the new Mogwai are fully developed. Very well done and subtle as the camera settles back to normal. Really good Dutch angle. FYI, Dutch angles are when the camera is at a slight tilt and it is used to produce a sense of unease or discomfort for the viewer. Unfortunately, it gets way overused. You'll see it a lot in like superhero films when you meet your villain. Um, almost all of one, of, I think the second Star Trek movie and a lot in the Thor ones I've noticed too. When it is used properly, it's really effective. One of the new Mogwai has a sweet mohawk on top of his head. He is named Stripe. The only one from this movie at least that gets a name. Besides Gizmo. And Stripe has a bad attitude. 
To add to the unease in this scene, the dog is on edge and Gizmo is near tears as we transition scenes, letting out this big sigh. Billy goes to inform his dad of what just happened. See what I mean? I don't believe it. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. You know, it's funny. The new ones aren't like Gizmo. The one with the stripes seems to be the leader. That is how you do exposition, folks. You know what? What? I'll bet every kid in America would like to have one of these. Hmm. They might even replace the dog as the family pet. Always thinking of a way to make a buck. This could really be the big one. The thing that I always thought was incredibly bizarre was the, uh, you see there's an artichoke that seems to be plugged in with electrodes for absolutely no apparent reason. <laughs> and to this day, I always am like, what is up with the artichoke? This being like tortured or something? Yes, Zach. Thank you for asking the real questions. That night, Stripe has a coy smile on his face as we hear Barney, the dog, pleading for help in the background. Billy gets up and he goes outside and the dog is strung up in the Christmas lights, just hanging. By the way, the dog is not in any danger or pain here. This was... But everybody on the set felt so bad. Everybody felt so bad for him. (laughs) Now, there was actually a lot more of this scene. Uh, We actually shot... Uh, some stuff where the the way that the mogwais get out. around is that they turn themselves into little balls and they bounce. So they bounce down the stairs and the dog chases them and it's all been a trick. And they, they to, to lure the dog out into the porch where they're going to uh, surround him. And we actually shot all this yeah, stuff. I, I, I remember, remember, well, I remember a rolling thing. those balls down time after time and they never go away. But I also remember there was a shot of... And all of a sudden, there were five new ones. Like this one. Billy brings out one of the Mogwai to the science teacher in town and shows him how they they reproduce with water. Nice Dutch angle again. I do, however, have an issue with that extra Mogwai that they reproduced in this scene. It never comes into play. We don't see it again after this scene. The show creators totally forgot that there are two at the school. Our wonderful theme for the Gremlins creeps into the soundtrack for the first time. The science teacher will run some tests on the Mogwai, so they are, or it, is actually staying there for now. Kate is closing up the bar for the night, and we run into Mr. USA again. We get some exposition about the word gremlin. Gremlins. You got you gotta watch out for the foreigners because they plant gremlins in their machinery. That's the same gremlins brought down our planes in the big one. That's right. World War II. Good old WWII. You know they're still shipping them over here. 
them in the cars, they put them in the TV, they put them in the stereos, and the radios just stick in your ears, they put them in your watches. Like, I almost came to Gremlins for watches. Which doesn't take away from the movie in any sort, and it really explains the spirit of those little fuckers. I love the intermixing of holiday spirit in this movie. Here we get some social commentary on the issues of modern day 1984. You see, after the war in America, America went through, well, the war was not in America, but America went through a period of great growth due to the baby boom. Urbanization, the rise of suburbia, was at an all-time high in the 50s and then into the late 60s. As all things do, that came to a halt coming into the 70s, and a reverse of course occurred, and small-town America was seeing an influx of people again. However, economic issues coming into the 80s caused rural manufacturing to take a big hit, as did farming, and small towns across the U.S. were suffering as people flocked back to the big cities to find work. And that, folks... That is my unnecessary monologue. That comment will begin to make sense very shortly. I would imagine people at home are just going, will they just shut up and let's watch it? Well, they can watch it. They can just turn us off. Oh, I would well, imagine at this movies. point they have. <laughs> well, the que- there's a, que- a legitimate question. You buy a film, you look at it. Okay, right. now you have to watch it again to get the one commentary track. Then you got to watch it again to get the next commentary track. Right. I mean, over what? how many years of period does that <sighs> over one day, actually. I just want somebody to listen. Especially on the holidays. What's that? That's when a lot of people get really depressed. Now, in this scene, we also get a little bit of setup for Kate's character for what will end up being an infamously... By most people's opinion, out of place monologue from Phoebe Cates later on in the movie. It's true. The suicide rate's always the highest around the holidays. Now I'm depressed. Did you ever get depressed on Christmas? I don't celebrate Christmas. What, are you Hindu or something? No, I just don't like to. Well, what's not to like? I mean, it's a lot of fun, you know? God! Say you hate Washington's birthday or Thanksgiving and nobody cares. Say you hate Christmas and everybody makes you feel like you're lepers. They've set up that Billy is bad with time a couple of times in the movie. The Mogwai begin begging for food. He looks at the clock and it's like 11.30 at night. He feeds them and we jump to the science teacher who is having a nice before bedtime snack while finishing up his work. Very nice job with the uh, camera work here. Good job, cinematography. As the clock in the background comes into focus for a short period of time, and you see that that clock shows that it is 2.30 a.m. The teacher does not finish his sandwich, and that mogwai is able to snatch up what's left. And then we jump back to Billy's room after he's done feeding the beasts. 
The clock is still at about 11.30 in the background. He goes to bed. We come back in the morning to Gizmo saying, and we see several larva-like pods spread all across Billy's room. Mom? Yeah? Mom, could you come up here, please? Billy looks at his clock and it is still about 11.30 p.m. It wasn't plugged in anymore. Of course, the same thing happened at the school. The science teacher is explaining that these are cocoons and the mogwai are going through a metamorphosis like a caterpillar would into a butterfly. Maybe less beautiful. It's nearly 40 minutes into the movie and we are really just beginning to get into the second act. The cocoons are hatching and Gizmo is looking on. He looks concerned. The cocoons look excellent though. They are slimy, they're yucky, and as they hatch there's like fog getting released and the cocoons light up in colors. It's very cool looking. It has a slight alien yet within the movie, realistic look to it all. So the science teacher has now called Billy to let him know that the cocoon is hatched. And we have not seen what has hatched yet, and neither has the science teacher. In an attempt to coax it out from under his desk, he lets out a yelp in agony, and we jump cut to Billy, arriving at the school, and we see that the teacher has been killed. It is not a gruesome kill at all. There's just one needle sticking out of his buttocks. Well, obviously, Glenn Turman here, who was a, a very good actor, and I was surprised to, he would be in our movie, but I was very happy, um, is obviously going to come to a bad end. And um, he used to come to a worse end. That's all I remember that. Because when we first shot this <laughs> And you just, you can't even, I don't, there might be one little line of blood, like, on his left wrist. On he's, the he's not lying face down as he is in this version of the movie. He's lying face up, and you can see his face. And his face is covered with hypodermic needles, mm-hmm. which I guess in retrospect, I have a still from it, and it is pretty horrific. <laughs> I guess it was considered maybe a little far over the line. And so we, we shot it with, uh, I believe at Stephen's request, um, with just one it's, needle coming It's not out. brutal at all. Billy rushes to the phone to call for help, and a hand pops up from under the desk, scratching Billy. It's definitely less furry and less cute looking than the Mogwais were before the metamorphosis. The thing escapes out of the room and Act 2 is officially here. We're nearly 50 minutes into the movie and Act 2's just getting going. We get our first good shot of a gremlin in a jump scare before returning to Billy's home as his mom is making cookies and she hears all sorts of ruckus coming from upstairs. What she's hearing is the gremlins as they are after their cocoonic stage, are bullying Gizmo. The poor little thing is stuck to a dartboard. Obviously, they're throwing darts at him. 
funnily enough, that was an idea from the crew that they allow the crew to do at the towards the end of filming. If you listen to the commentary track, you'll have an idea of why. They had a lot of issues with the puppets and it was just a very involved process throughout the for the whole movie. It's not an easy shoot for anyone, much less the production team. So they were ready to torture the little shit. <laughs> The following scene is something out of a slasher movie between Billy's mom and the gremlins. Yes, Billy, are you okay? Where are you? Mom, they passed. Get out of the house. Mom? Mom? The record player gets turned on. Let the games begin. So Billy gets home and then he goes after Stripe who escapes the house. Billy follows his snow tracks to the local YMCA. Stripe ends up hopping into the pool in the scene. And if you think about it, like just a few drops of water spawned five new mogwai. The scene visually looks awesome once he jumps into the pool, and it's it's very Christmassy too on top of that. This is quickly followed by a stop-motion horde of hundreds or possibly even thousands, I think that's what they wanted, was thousands, but it's hundreds, of gremlins coming down this the main street of the city. Side note, I fucking hate stop-motion. I hate it. And then we catch up with Mr. USA. There's the full-blown gremlin theme for the first time. And actually the only time. It's always a little bit different except for at the end credits. I'm not sure how he and his wife survived their attack, but they did. He and his wife are in gremlins too. And apparently... Apparently, they do have a little radio cast at some point towards the back end of the movie that kind of gets buried in the soundtrack That's that would allude to the fact that they lived. So the gremlins are just running around town, wreaking havoc. Um, they like to play pranks and mess around a lot like exactly what um, Mr. Fennerman, Mr. USA said in that little clip that I played earlier. A few of them reach the Deagle's residence. Do you remember Mrs. Deagle? She's, she gets the best treatment because she's such a mean bitch. <laughs> she freaking owns one of those uh, stairwell riding automatic chairs. And one of the gremlins is seen rewiring the electrical in it to make it go super fast. And it sends her flying right out of the house through the window. It's a great shot great scene. It's both. The gremlins also crash the bar where Kate works at and she's serving them all as they are being the worst kind of clientele you can have. The entire scene is just absolute fun chaos for us as the audience at least. Now here is the big big scene. 
Oh. Poor Chris. God. This I, set smelled so bad. It was incredible because that, we got all this free beer and, and pretzels. And we, we used beer and, beer and pretzels and popcorn and the smell of, of pretzels and beer that had been dunked in popcorn. That's right, it was after promotion, about, promoted beer. We got after fours, about guess, three or four days, it's really a sickly sweet kind of... This oh. scene is filled with so many silly gags, and just so you know, in case you were worried, yes, this scene does include a flash dance moment with our gremlins. She figures out their weakness and begins to take some of them out when suddenly Billy shows up and they escape. Remember I said we get, we got earlier, we got some setup for a super unnecessary monologue. That moment has arrived. Now I have another reason to hate Christmas. Hey, what are you talking about? The worst thing that ever happened to me was on Christmas. God, it was so horrible. It was Christmas Eve. I was nine years old. It's just, it's such an odd tonal change in the movie. Christmas Day came and went and still nothing. And it really doesn't have much to do with the movie. And that's when I noticed the smell. The firemen came, broke through the chimney top, and me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. And instead, they pulled out my father. To me, it just sort of encapsulated the whole tone of the movie. I mean, this is a story that... He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. It sounds funny if somebody else tells it, but if it happened to you, it wouldn't be funny at all. Well, when you put it like that way, that makes sense. He slipped and broke his neck. What else have you got, Joe? When, um... The studio saw the picture. They 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 liked the movie pretty much, although they thought that there were too many grumblings in it. I remember. And Stephen said, "Well, should we cut them out and call it People?" Because they hated this scene, and they said, "You know, you just got to cut this scene." And I said, "Look, it's fifty-five second scene. It's Phoebe's best. It's her only dramatic thing that she gets to do in the movie, and I think it's really." sweet and good and, and you don't know they said but we don't know whether to laugh or cry at this and I said well that's what's good about it so it's interesting so there was a campaign to get me to take this thing out and I sort of stuck to my guns because to me it was sort of endemic of what I thought the, the, the heart of the picture was and so finally they, they said well we'll go to Stephen and we'll make him cut we'll have him make you cut it out because we shared final cut and so I went to Stephen, and, and he said, you really like this scene, don't you? And I said, I, I think it's a good scene. I think it's important to the movie. Uh, what do you think? He said, well, I don't, I don't really care for it. But if you, it's your picture, and if you want to have it in, then you should keep it in. Well, this really rankled the people in the front office quite a bit. And in fact, even after our successful previews, they kept saying, now all we have to do is cut out that one scene, and it'll be perfect. Because people will walk out. They'll leave. I said, they're not going to leave. If they liked it up to now, they're not going to leave because somebody t talks for 50 seconds, you know. Uh, ultimately, I found out that they were bugging Stephen, even up until the release, just the imminent release of the movie, to let to let them come The out. town is a ghost town all of a sudden. Billy and Kate find out why. Every last one of them has gone to the theater to watch a movie.
if you want to get rid of an infestation, there's no better way than to get them all other located at one place. Even Gizmo is enjoying the tune. We have reached the final act. What are they doing? They're watching Snow White. And they love it. Stripe, however, got distracted and he noticed a candy store across the street. Fun story about that. Now this is the scene where I told you not to break the thing that says candy because it costs so much money. And, and also now because... Watch, and now watch what you do. You deliberately... You said don't break... Yeah, that's <laughs> good. And also those two electrodes, they told me later that if those two electrodes on either side of the candy side had touched us at the same time, like there when Phoebe's climbing through the window, they would have electrocuted us both. Yeah, well, I think that's probably why they said don't, don't break it. So all but one of them go boom. This, uh, as I recall, this explosion was so powerful that it shattered somebody's plate, plate glass window in their house. Some, some Stripe obviously being the survivor. Survivor. They split up and a kiss. Goodbye. Go, Billy! Woo-woo! Get him, boy! The conclusion is fun. There's also a decent amount of suspense. Stripe is a pretty good foe. One issue near the conclusion, when Gizmo hits the ceiling and he falls like a rag doll, it is so obviously a puppet for the, the only moment in the entire movie. Well, it's like when they throw, you know, a rag doll down a cliff in a movie and you can just tell. Because obviously they're puppets throughout the whole movie, but you buy into their reality within this universe. So I don't mean that you don't realize that part of it, but... They always have life to them at all times throughout the movie, and except for that little moment right at the end. I think they could have cut quicker and not shown him falling, so I'm going to blame the editor on that. In the final moments of Stripe, as he is dying, he looks pretty gnarly. Well done production design. Responsibility. But you didn't listen, and you see what happens. I, I didn't mean it. You do what quiet. What your society has done with all of nature's gifts, you do not understand. You are not ready. something to say uh, to you. You mean you understand what he says when he speaks to you? To hear, one has only to listen. Aww. That's so cute. What's your favorite scene, dudes? That's my favorite scene. My favorite scene. I'm between Gizmo driving around in a toy car and the scene at the house with Mrs. Peltzer. Billy's mom versus the gremlins. Before I get into it, I would like to give an honorable mention to the bookends of the movie. The way that they are shot and with the narration over the top 
really adds to the rewatchability of the movie. It makes it feel like a familiar children's book that you want to reread from time to time. Yeah, you know what? I have to give it to the Mrs. Peltzer scene. Uh, when that music gets turned on, the movie really shifts in tone. And it's pretty much the defining moment of the movie. It gives the entire movie that weight and gravity that it needs because it, um, well, it, it is truly a ridiculous premise in the movie overall. It's like a properly cooked rack of ribs. There should be that little bit of chew left to the meat, you know? And that's what this scene does. It gives the meat the chew. The chew that you need. That was totally dope. What do you say that we get down in technical? If you know what I mean. Before we get into any specifics, this note is mostly going towards cinematography and production design. But it's really something that all parts of filmmaking contributed towards. So... There are some beautiful matte paintings that bookend the movie. Unfortunately, matte paintings are an art form that are just rarely used these days in Hollywood due to CGI, I get it. And this movie is all practical effects, and that adds to that charm and play-like essence that this movie has to offer. What I mean by play-like is that essence that you find in, you know, fantastic tales. Um, what... Fairy tales. There's a fairy tale essence to this movie. Um, and I would argue a fair number of older films have that quality as they've aged. And I'm talking even older than this movie, like, you know, your 40s and 50s movies. And it's a part of what the style was once upon a time in Hollywood. No pun intended by that. I don't mean the movie title. I've never, I haven't watched it yet. They even, um, they talk about that a bit in the commentary track, and I know some bits that I have included throughout this episode, and you haven't heard some of them yet, that I will touch on. Um, they were going for a bit of classic Hollywood with this movie, and I think that that's exactly what has helped this movie to withstand the test of time. Those bookends at the beginning and the end, like just special mention to those, as well as everything that went into giving this movie that feel. All right, let's start off with the writing. The three rules have obvious problems. Let's take a peek at what the creators have to say about them first. Now, the, uh, these rules, which were actually something that were also added in the development process, in the script, the eating, you don't get them wet, the eating after midnight, all that stuff, we were uh, somewhat concerned. We somewhat concerned that this was so ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> because it's like, eat after midnight, well, where? I mean, yeah. I mean what if it's after midnight in Rome? You go to a preview, you are deathly afraid that the audience will get up in the middle of the movie and go, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever saw and walk out. But they went with it. No, For some didn't. strange reason, they went with it. They do talk about the main issue that I was going to bring up, the time zone issue. They also definitely break the light rules in the movie plenty of times. Um, the weakness to light issue is a tough one to work around. I think they should have done something else besides light. They, they could have chosen whatever they wanted. It's, it's sort of like the water rule in the movie Signs. But if you want to look all into those rules, there's a whole lot said about them online. 
And the only other thing that I want to say is that they are right. You do just kind of go along with it when you see the movie the first time. At least most people do. That's that suspension of disbelief thing coming into play. And I think that is a lot easier to accomplish in a movie like Gremlins, where you really are always aware of the fact that you're watching a movie. And that goes back to what I talked about with, you know, being filmed at the Universal Backlots. But you are purposefully have immersed yourself into, I want to enjoy this movie from the get-go. They do a good job of lulling you into that, and you have to make that decision a little bit too. There is not any kind of like character development in this movie overall. They talked about character development in some of the commentary. In the original script, um, they even shot a lot about what was in some of the original script and what they were talking about in the commentary. But they ended up cutting out a lot of that because Billy was actually supposed to. He's an artist in this movie. They cut out a lot of that. And he draws like a superhero. And he's supposed to evolve into this superhero and then they kind of show it with like his torn. They were going to have him end up looking like the superhero that he drew in the beginning at the end of it to kind of dovetail that storyline. So, metaphorically. However, it slowly got cut out of the script, edit after edit, and it was left, um, you know, what was left to the plot line got filmed still, but then they cut out more and more, and it just all got completely lost. I mean, there's still some of that that's going to be on film, but you would never be able to point out what is Going back to that, there were a lot of rewrites, and then the movie also evolved a lot as they filmed it. That's how I should have said it in the beginning. So they began filming stuff that they felt was working. And the only issue that I have is that a lot of artifacts or bits and pieces of previous versions, previous storylines, made it into the movie unnecessarily. I love the structure of the mo- that the movie is built around. As far as the three acts go, they're definitely there. Um, there is an incredibly long first act, which really adds to the scare factor once the movie gets going. It doesn't feel that long. Um, it really sort of lulls you into like think, feeling like you might be in a different kind of movie, a fairy tale or whatever. And even though you know that something scary is supposed to come, you kind of you get lulled away from that. So when it, when it shifts to the horror, it catches you a little bit off guard to a certain extent. And that goes back to that story-like quality that this movie has to offer. Everything gets set up very naturally. You know, in real life, you don't you don't get a whole lot of clues that something terrible is coming. You might get a few. But um, I've, I've already talked about one of my big tonal issues. Other than that, I think the evolution of the story is really smooth. And uh, besides those little issues. But, you know, the plot is what it is. All in all, I think the movie could have been more taut, tauter. There's a little bit of slack. Those leftover artifacts of stories past I was talking about. So 5.9 out of 10 for the writing. It, it really doesn't hinder the end product that the writing wasn't great, but it could have been better. Cinematography. I love the look of this movie, largely due to a very nice job with some of the camera techniques that add to the tone of the movie. Although I do have some issues with the spacing of the camera work. Um, One example is early on in the movie, and it just so happens that the commentary that you'll be hearing soon occurs right before and as the scene that I'm talking about occurred. At the tree lot in the start of the movie, 
the kid in the foreground is too close to the camera, and then the three gentlemen are in so tight that the gentleman in the foreground is mostly covering up the guy in the background. I noticed this issue a few times in the movie, and as I wrote that note, I was just beginning my third watch through the cast commentary, where there was a good explanation, may have been at least, a good explanation as to why that occurred. And that's what you'll be listening to now. So, at the time we were shooting this at Universal, they were also shooting a, a Walter Hill picture called Streets of Fire. Yeah. And uh, in order to make it nighttime all the time for their movie, they had put up these gigantic poles. And uh, you, we had to shoot all around it because it, otherwise you would see this forest of strange poles in the background. There's a piece of animation that they used where it looks like the gremlins are running towards like the big movie theater screen. But like if you were behind it and it looks really cool. Very well done. It was cartoony and it just, just overall cool and neat. All in all, cinematography was really good and the talent of the crew was obvious. A less talented crew would not have pulled off what they did in this movie as well. Was it the most challenging? No, no. So 7.5 out of 10 for cinematography. Uh, really good, really good job. Very quick, I don't rate editing, so I won't be giving this a score, but special mention. Um, the editor for this movie had to go through a whole shit ton of film to create what we end up with. So I'm going to give this movie an extra half point for editing and that really actually doesn't have to do with the amount of film that they had to go through but the final product that we got there are a lot of nice transitions um and good job editor octane they gave character to pretty much everyone but more so everything in this movie even the dog it's actually amazing how well they did at giving or getting character from this dog. Barney. Mushroom. Barney. Mushroom. One, of mushroom. A, one of the best actors yeah. I've ever worked with. This dog was so great. So mild. <laughs> but he had such an expressive face. And he thought that the puppets were real. Yeah. And, he absolutely and, thought that Gizmo was, was real. And he was yes. fascinated with him. And so we got some really cool stuff with him because he related to the, the puppets as if they were real. And the only other actor in the picture who is who relates on that level is Corey Feldman. I would say the acting is good. Not great, overall at least. I mean, even good might be a little bit strong to a certain extent. Uh, the side characters are mostly all really good actors. Our main two are of more like standard quality actors. But they were good choices for the movie because they give off a very natural boy and girl next door vibe. So although their acting isn't great, don't think it hurts the movie. Five point Shit. <laughs> I almost forgot about the voice acting. Howie Mandel as the voice of Gizmo, among several other voice actors, including the amazing Frank Welter Welker. A man who you've all heard do a million different things in your lifetimes. All do a spectacular job in this movie. And this movie really doesn't succeed without all of that work. So 6.48 out of 10 for the acting in the movie. The side actors and the voice work take a very slightly above average performance by our main characters and they bump it up a notch. 
Production design. There's a scene where Billy is trying to explain to the cops what is happening around town. They don't believe his crazy story, of course. Every movie has that scene, and the face on Gremlin is wrong. He looks angry, but he like he shouldn't be. I was excited for the verification from one of the guys on the commentary track who echoed the same sentiment about that shot. And there is also a nice Dutch angle again in that scene. The car crash between the police car and a different car definitely looks like it's done with miniatures. I can't say for sure, but looks off. The facial expressions on the puppets are amazing and adorable. It gives Gizmo so much character and then all of them. Not to mention the puppeteering is great. This movie is done to a level that really only Hanson Studios can achieve, at least consistently. So great job by everyone that was involved there. The set design is all great. I like the clothing. Um, Although it's 80s, it's it's got this timelessness to it on a similar level to that of the work on Friday the 13th Part 6. There is that moment at the end of the movie when the gizmo puppet goes lifeless, which is just so darn obvious. Once again, I think editing could have gotten around that, but there is a little bit of laziness that came into that uh, by the filmmakers. So a little little ding there. Final issue, it doesn't uh, feel cold throughout the movie. They did a good job of dressing everybody up as if it was cold. And the directors do a decent job of pretending like it's cold. But the weather always feels like it's a nice winter day where the snow should be melting. You know, one of those 45 degree days after a late March, early April snowstorm. But uh, fake, fake snow doesn't melt. I think I talked about it earlier. It almost doesn't bother me at all. It's just like a 0.15 deduction to the score. 9.35 out of 10. Except for a few small issues, and especially when you consider the budget constraints that the movie ran into, they they did an amazing job. Sound design. The sound effects in the movie are really good. They lean into some cartoon-like sound effects as the movie evolves, but it works just fine. Plus, uh, they're top-notch sound effects since they are using the Warner Brothers sound effects vault. They have that at their disposal. There was a lot of work on all levels of the sound design, and it comes through. Uh, They took the time and care to make sure everything that you see on the screen received an appropriate sound. The audio mixing is great, and if you really listen to the background, there are a few things that are a little bit tough to catch, but, but they're there. They included them. However, it's not perfect because, you know, maybe some of it should be a little more easy to catch by the ear. Then you've got the score of the movie, which works perfectly. Um, Not only that, but the theme of the Gremlins is teased nicely and it evolves through the movie to fit each moment that they actually play it, which is like, I think, four times. I love when a theme is tinkered with appropriately. If you recall, I do not like it when they did um, what they did with part seven of Friday the 13th, but that wasn't like an evolution. That was just a butchering. So 8.91 out of 10 for sound design. It's on the border of great and excellent. How does this movie compare to similar movies by genre? 
It is a holiday horror comedy with fantastic elements. That's precisely what this movie is, and it does that top-notch. It's not particularly scary, but for a moment in time, there is a level of horror and there is always a level of threat, which is hard to achieve when you've got these mini-sized puppets as our threat. It's genuinely comedic with both straight comedy and a fair amount of black comedy, but it has both in it, which is you know part of why I think all audiences are able to enjoy this movie. It captures the holiday spirit that you get from movies like A Christmas Story, and even more so from true classics like 1951's Scrooge and 1946's It's a Wonderful Life. It's, it's essentially, it's impossible to knock this movie for the lack of horror because it, the movie is what it is supposed to be. It's very unique in that way. It's a 9.25 out of 10 for me. People would try to imitate this movie with very little success. If you think of like Critters, Ghoulies, munchies and hobgoblins no one could even match that critter slasher flick formula much less you know the other elements that this movie pulls off so well i'm not giving it a perfect 10 because once you take out the holiday aspect there are a few movies that could compete or if you were to compare it to all horror it would you know fall back a lot but it's so unique too and there's just nothing like it out there total enjoyment factor rating Whatever. <laughs> this movie does a nice job of slowly pulling away the elements of reality. It's a really neat evolution to the movie. It starts out as a small town story, it turns into a creature slasher flick, and then it just goes off the rails. But it all shifts in small moments, and it makes for a fun Christmas horror ride. One more reason that this movie comes off like a play is decisions like this. Well, the narration at the beginning of the movie was an afterthought. Uh, the picture used to start uh, with Rand um, hunting around Chinatown trying to find a present for his kid, and there was a scene where he tries to buy something from uh, an elderly lady, and uh, the kid comes along and says, no, no, I'll, uh, I'll take you to sit and find something better. Uh, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, it didn't really do much for the picture, and so we decided to start it you know, just before he got here, and that meant having a narration, which when you have somebody with the sonorous voice of Hoyt Axton, uh, you wonder why you didn't think of a narration before. And also, the, the movie you know, has sort of a fable-like quality, so we thought bookending it with a narration was appropriate. Right off the bat, we get a narrator to open the movie. It's clearly a stylistic decision because he is not our main character. I'd also like to note that this movie should have a million plus errors in it. With all the working parts that went into it, it's insane that there are not a lot more errors. On top of that, there's actually a lot of small details that they put into the movie that make it better, and they took the time to make sure that they got them right. One little example is that at the end of the movie, when Stripe is getting dragged by the chainsaw, the chainsaw is actually leaving marks on the floor. They didn't have to do that. But all that care and attention to detail is what helps to make this movie withstand the test of time. They include a few scenes that are more of inside jokes or just uh, because they wanted to's. Basically stuff that doesn't add to the actual movie or plot. I think they could have cut about like six minutes of the film to create a tighter, more better paced movie experience. It's a, it's a very easy watch. It has excellent rewatchability factor to it. 
there's that classic comfort food element that the movie gives you. 8.8 out of 10. It is a very enjoyable holiday horror ride. Personally, it is my favorite holiday horror option available. And I really like those other two that I gave you in the beginning of this episode. So let's recap those scores. Writing, 5.9. Cinematography, 7.5. Acting, 6.48. Production design, 9.35. Sound design, 8.91. In comparison to the genre or similar movies, 9.25. My enjoyment factor, 8.8. We take those numbers, we add them up, we subtract them, we add them again, and then we divide the little gremlins and we give it a half point bump for the editing. My official podcast score, our official podcast score is 8.527 out of 10. Do you think the fans and the critics gave it some props reviews or what? Let's start off with the critics. I'll start with a fairly neutral but positive review from Sarah Muznicki of Nightmarish Conjurings. With a 5 out of 10 rating, she said, Gremlins is definitely a product of its time, but it's got a lot of heart. Obviously, I agree. I included that because uh, I want to point out that wording, definitely a product of its time. I don't know if I made it clear. I say that this movie has like a timelessness to it, but... It is definitely a product of its time. You you can pinpoint when this movie was made in history. It just has an essence to it that is timeless. I don't want you thinking. I'm not saying like any part of this film hasn't aged. Because, uh, you know, in some ways it's aged. With a 3 out of 4, Roger Ebert said, At the level of serious film criticism, it's a meditation on the myths in our movies, Christmas, families, monsters, retail stores, movies, Boogeyman. At the level of pop movie going, it's a sophisticated, witty B-movie. Well said. I got nothing. Holy shit. Hello again, Ken Hank of Mountain Express. A positive review, dude? Really? Toy. My man, Ken, coming in with a 4 out of 5. And he says, pretty neat fantasy comedy with just enough edge. Yeah, man. I agree. Keep on rocking on, Ken. This guy apparently gave it a thumbs down, but he also gave it a 3 out of 5 rating. Confusing. But, here we go. From Blake French of FilmCritic.com. Stop playing, Snickers. It is probably a surefire hit with popcorn and a six-pack of beer on a Saturday night. Black, your hair is a product of its time. 2002, if you're wondering. Love the frosted tips, bro. Vincent Canby of the New York Times did not like the movie. He said Gremlins is far more interested in showing off its knowledge of movie lore and making random jokes than in providing consistent entertainment. He's the only one I've seen to echo my sentiment on some of the random jokes that don't add to the movie. But what's your idea of entertainment, Vince? I'd truly like to know. Alright, so I read his entire review, and he does state that the gremlins themselves are the most fun part of the movie. And so I will accept that, Vincey Poo. Nice timing, Snicks. 
We're just going to have to deal with an energetic cat, I guess. I'd like to note that most all of the negative reviews have decent ratings, but they hark on the fact that this is a kid's movie due to the PG rating, and that kids would either be horrified by the movie, which I don't know what is wrong with that. I liked being scared as a kid. I don't know. Or that the movie is heartless and negative. Well, it's, it's a black comedy for a reason. You know, black comedies are a look at the negative parts of society. And that's kind of what it is. But back to the kids movie thing. They had no option but to the rate it PG at the time. So calm down. Plus, if your kid doesn't know that Santa isn't real by like 10, 13 years old, maybe it's high time that they uh, find out that fairy tales aren't real. I don't know. I don't know that exact age and probably depends the kid, but it's okay to find that out. All right, let's do some audience reviews. With a five out of five rating, Harold B says, so lovely and funny. You can't see it, but I'm smiling. He added a smiley face to it. With four out of five, 4.5 out of five, Langeggs says, this dude, he's got to be from the, uh, Netherlands or something. Surprisingly for me, it's one of the few movies that really caused suspense in me and left me with a real good sensation. Using comedy sometimes and other time truly good horror. On the opposite side of that spectrum, we have Andrea M who gave it one and a half stars and says, This wasn't my type of movie at all. The gremlins were cute at first, but then the movie seems to go haywire. And that's where it loses me. Andrea? Really? The madness is where all the fun comes in. Come on, Andrea. You want cute and cuddly, go watch Pony... What are they called? Oh. Oh my god. What the hell are they called? Friendship Ponies? Pony Express? Oh. I know there's bronies. I know bronies. The brony people. Go watch the brony show. Let's end this review phase here on William K., who I think makes a valid point. He gives it a 3 out of 5, and William says, Quite original, over-the-top horror spoof, is lively and entertaining, overabundant with in-joke details, but its black humor is childish most of the time. And I think all that is a good point. Good review. I like it more than you, but good review. It's time for some totally tubular facts. Interesting fact number one. Uh, you know, I, I should also add that Chris's original concept of this film was much more horrific. And I less... remember, yeah, reading that the uh, scene of... Uh... Billy coming home and his mother's head rolling down the stairs. Yes, there was that. They also ate the dog. And um, oh. it was pretty gruesome. Interesting fact, number two. We panicked a lot. Now, another another thing that caused panic in the movie was that uh, in the original um, version of the picture, the uh, gizmo uh, turns into Stripe, the bad gremlin. And there's no more gizmo for the second half of the movie because gizmo is now a monster. Well, rather late in the game... Stephen decided, uh, obviously correctly, but nonetheless terrifyingly, that uh, Gizmo was really cute and he shouldn't 
he shouldn't turn into anything bad. He should always be around for the whole movie and be Billy's pal. Wise choice by Spielberg. And I'm sure much of the reason why Gizmo would end up being carried around in a backpack for most of a lot of the second half of the movie. The back lot where the town square is in the movie was the same one used in uh, Back to the Future. This is how they were able to shoot the movie and uh, do the puppetry. And, uh, you know, the, the, the way that the sets were built, everything was raised up off the floor about three, four feet. And there was a little army of people living underneath the sets. Actually, on this stage, I think we're, there was actually a pit underneath. So yes, uh, this is this is the uh, the pit that from um, the, the Seahawk. Right. Uh, right on that and stage. it was, in fact, a pit. To, <laughs> it, was, it, it was the dungeon. It was the right. dungeon, yeah. It wasn't just little, uh, a bunch of little people down there. There were a lot of little rats and spiders. Well, there was a, there, there <laughs> a lot of strange things on that set, but it's, it's an old set. And I'm... I'm So anyway, the, there's a lot of people underneath this floor, and they've all got these little televisions. And the image on the TV is reversed because it's like looking in a mirror. If it's not reversed, you get very confused. And uh, they, everything had to be constantly wired. And the wiring, of course, the, the oh no, we can't shoot my monitor went out. You know, and all of a sudden you have everybody had headphones so that Chris could direct yeah. everybody. I would be up on the set next to Joe. And Joe would say, well, make him, how many, can, can he do this? Who's always, can he do this? I'm like, he can do something kind of like that. If you move the camera over there. Uh, and he'd tell me what he wanted, and I would try and tra translate that to the operators and work with them to shot. Number five, interesting fact. This movie is largely responsible for the PG-13 rating, along with Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, or Temple of Doom. Um... This movie would have been rated PG-13 if that was possible. And it's, it's going to be the scene in the kitchen that really uh, put this movie over the top to help it, to help create a PG-13 rating. One of Phoebe Kate's screams in the scene at the bar is genuine. An enormous cockroach crawled out in front of her during one of the takes during filming. This movie was released on the same day as Ghostbusters in 1984. And fun little fact from the commentary, uh, around the country they were basically number two like everywhere or whatever. But in New York where Ghostbusters was filmed, the locals were pissed off at the Ghostbusters crew for shutting down all the streets for like an entire summer or whatever. And so in New York, which is a good place to be, number one, they were number one. This movie was nearly Tim Burton's directorial debut. However, Spielberg decided he wanted someone with previous directing experience. They did this movie in a whole bunch of different languages. And so not only did they tailor a lot of jokes specifically to match the different cultures and countries, but Howie actually had to record his voice work for Gizmo in all the different languages as well. But every version of this picture, in whatever language it is, looks like it's a local product in a sense that it's it's got but all even of down that. to sounds. You know, I would just make a sound because I'd see the head move, and we'd talk about like, and they would go, well, you know what? In in China, they would never go. It would be. At the very end of the movie, Gizmo is saying a bunch of stuff as he and his owner uh, leave the premises. And in that commentary, one of the guys alludes to the fact that, of the idea that that uh, how how we 
whatever the case, Gizmo is like retelling the whole story of what happened to his owner. And that made me crack up. And I wanted to share that because now that ending walk is going to have a whole new meaning to me. I'm more happy about like Gizmo's happy to be back with his owner. What should we review next? I'm guessing this will be released like one week ahead of my childhood favorite holiday movie, Home Alone. So unless you've heard that review already, I assume Home Alone will be coming up next. Bye. Uh, oh my god, I'm sorry. If only there was a way to edit that out. I oh, I apologize. I'm so rude. I love you fuckers, but I'm so sorry to subject you well, to that. Well, that's the story. So if your air conditioner goes on the fritz, or your washing machine blows up, or your video recorder conks out, before you call the repairman, turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under all the beds, because you never can tell. There just might be a gremlin in your house. snap dude that was like a hella good show <laughs> we totally hope that you had a banging time as well and we'd appreciate it if you followed us on any or all of our social media <laughs> you can even donate to help us improve alright what the fuck <laughs>